I wish to tell stories of mystery and grace, of divine wonder made real in days of doubt and fear, of formless voids and the voice of God, of neophytes slain in the spirit and speaking the language of angels, of two men in a river and visions in the sky, of love descending to comfort and assure. I wish to tell these stories because we sorely need them today. No one but God was there in the beginning. So we must surmise that God either described it into the whispered ears of scribes, or that the first parts of Genesis were early attempts to comprehend how all this came to be. Divinely inspired, of course. But the flourish and majesty of God's creation portrayed in these chapters in Genesis must not be lost on you and me. The story being told is the genesis of existence. We may not have all the facts straight, but even science would agree that the making of order from chaos is the general trend of the universe. We lose that awe when we hear this story year in and year out from Genesis, the longer version often, and sometimes it is blandly told, and we think, oh, here comes creation again. This is a long one. But how dare we? Maybe because it's too much to let in, we simply abide till it's over. But today, we are called to marvel. The genius of those who compiled our lectionary readings is on display this Sunday. The bursting in of the supernatural into the mundane is our theme. I'll just tell you right now. God steps into chaos to create form. The spirit overwhelms 12 in Ephesus and they speak in tongues. When Christ is baptized, a voice from heaven declares its alliance and approval. Today we are called to marvel. There is more to reality than capital coups and coronaviruses, deadly as they are. And we need that reminder in these days and months tinged with apocalypse. Today we are called to perspectives of grandeur, not to avoid the distresses of everyday life, but to ground ourselves once more in the eternal. Paul baptizes 12 Ephesians in the name of Jesus in our reading from Acts. He laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Here were 12 people in an ancient city who longed for more than what surrounded them. Their day-to-day -day drudgery made them wonder, as would Peggy Lee 2,000 years later in her pop song, is that all there is? We were baptized into John's baptism, they informed Paul, but that wasn't enough, a baptism of repentance without new life. And so Paul brings it. They are baptized in Christ. 
And the twelve, overcome by electric possibility, collapse into what sounds like gibberish. But what speaking in tongues really is, I would say, is the language of angels who surround God's throne. When it's authentic, that is. Vocalized praise and awe, involuntary. Now these twelve knew God more intimately, and they stepped into new life with Christ. Sometimes I've wondered, if we, could if we could record hundreds of samples of these glossolalia experiences, these speaking in tongues, might a linguistic scholar with computer analysis decode the message within? And would we be ready to hear it? A word from the eternal. We crucified the first one after all. One thing we do know, there is more than we can say. There is more than all this. Jesus is baptized, but why? The sky is torn apart. A dove comes down. A voice speaks directly to him. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Why would the son of God need a baptism of repentance? Biblical scholars have pulled out their hair trying to figure this out. The best that I've heard and agree with is this. Christ was baptized to communicate and to accompany. Christ controls chaos and dwells in eternity. How could he make himself so small, speak with so tiny a voice as ours, so that we might understand? Through ritual. Religion is our systematic attempt to comprehend the divine, and ritual is its language. Through rituals, we try to communicate with God and to prepare ourselves to hear God's message. Christ consents to the ritual of baptism in order to meet us halfway in our efforts at contact. Jesus willingly submits himself to being domesticated, if you will, because God has something important to tell us, to recall to us. I love you. And if God shows up with that message as the same wind that swept over the face of the waters at creation, we'd be blasted to bits. As it is, God's excitement at the baptism event spills over and bursts out with a loud voice from heaven. But again, my point, Jesus is baptized into our system of rituals to better communicate with our longing for the divine. And also to accompany us. I picture him thinking, I don't need this baptism, but I don't want to be set apart from you who do. So I will submerge with you into this river in solidarity to be right next to you on this journey. I want to experience all that you do with you. Even today, with the mess that we're in, when most deities would pack up and flee, Jesus says, I'm not budging. I am with you to the end. We comprehend God through story and ritual. But faith only manifests when mystery is mixed in. In other words, story 
plus ritual plus mystery equals faith. We hear the story of Christ's baptism in the River Jordan. We are familiar with the ritual of baptism itself. But if that's all there is, we'd be left unimpressed. It's the heavenly voice breaking through the clouds and the dove descending, the arrival of mystery that activates our faith. Sunday worship is story and ritual. Faith comes when we sense the presence of God, the divine majesty longing to communicate with us through our own language, God willingly domesticating to be with us here each Sunday. My message to you this morning is, stop living only in story and ritual. Story and ritual. Doom scrolling through news items and sleepwalking through your daily routines. Mystery is knocking. Let it in. Remember that reality is so much more, that God is with us, that we are beloved. This will not solve anything, perhaps, in the news. But it will ground you in the eternal and in the promise of Christ's accompaniment. I wish to tell a story of mystery and grace when a ritual strengthened my faith. On the night of January 1st, 2006, I was on a New Year's retreat with the Billies, a group of mostly gay men who hold gatherings throughout the year in Northern California country. This one was way up in Humboldt County. It was winter 2006. The Billies are an amalgam of pagans, Jews, Buddhists, Christians, atheists, and others. But their stress is on loving community. In 2006, I struggled with my call to the priesthood, whether I should attend seminary and change my life. A man named Richard heard my distress and offered me something called diksha. He said, it's a gift I received in India, a divine energy that I was given the grace to pass along to others. I know it sounds strange and woo-woo, he said, but I've seen it work. I place my hands on your head for three minutes. You close your eyes. And I don't know how or why, but when we both have the right intention, I become a conduit of grace. I would love to offer that to you if it might help you in your discernment, he said. Nothing strange or huge will happen, but you might sense an inner shift that clears a path forward for you in your discernment. After asking lots of questions, I consented. What follows are excerpts from a journal I wrote in later that night, describing my experience. Now, in sermons, you should probably never quote from your own journal, retell a dream, or begin a sentence with, as my therapist told me. Nevertheless, in this Christian setting of St. Luke's, I offer the following to you under the banner of mystery. Journal. What I experienced was subtle yet profound. At first, there was nothing. Then I saw a moving spiral, a spinning wheel on a hill, much like the hills here in Humboldt County. 
Then I got distracted by people singing songs here in the lodge where we sat. Then a grouping of candles appeared to me in the shape of a menorah, with only the two at each end lit. The menorah vision was fleeting. A few seconds later, a stronger image appeared before me, a circle of lit candles burning on the floor of some room. And I thought, this is truer. This is a Christian image, meaning truer for me. And I can't say why I thought it a Christian image. Then there was nothing. And I wasn't sure whether my visions were meaning anything. And then, and I realized this is ridiculous, I saw a spaceship hovering above a hill a round one with its edge lit and spinning. From its underside, a beam shot out and straight down into the trees and bushes. I immediately realized that the spinning wheel on the hill and the circle of candles were both transfigured into the single image of the spinning spaceship so that somehow they were all connected. Then, nothing. Finally, I noticed that my mouth was slowly forming itself into a huge smile. Actually, I didn't consciously realize I was smiling until I felt myself literally beaming in the face, hugely, completely. Now all this time, Richard's hands were still on my head. The minute I felt myself beaming, I suddenly became aware of the singing in the lodge. At that very moment of beaming, they were singing these lines from the wassailing song. May God bless you and send you a happy new year. May God send you a happy new year. And in the next second, after realizing my beaming and hearing the song's words, tears fell from my eyes and rolled down my cheeks. And they were tears of joy because I was suddenly happy and had this sense that my beaming, the lyrics, and the tears were a message that God, this diksha, this divine grace, was going to shine through me in this year. And all I can say about my vision is that maybe it's some clipped scenes of different belief systems. This is interpretation now, not vision, though I did have some of these thoughts as I was visioning. The spiral wheel on the hill is pagan to me. The menorah was obviously Jewish, and somehow the candles in a circle were Christian, and I haven't worked that out. But what to make of this spaceship? And the fact that it seemed to incorporate elements of all the images. It seemed so preposterous, but it was very much a part of this. As for the joy, the lyrics, and the tears, they seemed like divine grace sending me a message. Be radiant. Be joyful. God is sending you blessings for a happy new year. It's a long story. When I opened my eyes, Richard looked amazed. He'd seen my tears and smile. I told him everything, and we talked about faith. Could God be in everything? Could many religious traditions point to the same divine presence? When I left the lodge, I passed by the kitchen, and of course the, the hippies who worked at the retreat center were playing a reggae version of the Lord's Prayer on their boombox. Why do I burden you with this story? I can only think of two reasons. One is simply to state that you must remain open to the mystery of God in your life. Don't let your soul be stunted by fear and anxiety in these dark days of distress. God loves and cherishes you. And there is more to life than this. And there is more to God than life can contain. 
The other reason I share this story is because of the cover art chosen by the art committee for our bulletin this week. It's called Baptism of Christ by Ert de Gelder, a student of Rembrandt's. It was painted in 1710. I had never seen it before, but it so closely resembles my vision that it made my hair stand on end. So I felt I had to risk sounding like a blasphemous fool to you today and relay this story, the strange ritual of Diksha, and how it helped strengthen my faith. On the ride home from that New Year's gathering, William and I recited morning prayer in the car, and it was Psalm 34, and verse 5 says... Look upon him and be radiant, and let not your faces be ashamed. Let us follow this advice throughout this year. Let us remember that there is more than what we see around us and hold fast to that. Let us work and strive for justice and live and reach out with compassion. But remember that you are beloved and ground yourself in the things that are eternal. Amen.